Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman, and if Alan Smith were here, he would say, this is Alan Smith. And then I would say, as I will say now, let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hey everybody, this is Sam coming to you not from Hootenanny Studios, but rather from a linen closet at my mom's house in Virginia, where I am for the Thanksgiving holiday. I join Alan in wishing all of you a very happy Thanksgiving weekend, and we thought what we would do as a bit of a special edition episode this week is to each prepare a personal essay around the themes of gratitude and baseball to share with you as perhaps a travel companion in your adventures this weekend. We'll, of course, be back with a normal episode next week, but we wanted to send you this one along with our very sincere gratitude to each of you for tuning in to the show every week. We really do appreciate it and look forward to bringing you lots more great stuff this offseason. All right, here are Alan and I's essays. You'll hear mine first and then Alan's, and I hope you enjoy them. Ethan Silver drove a gold Honda Accord. He had a beard well before the rest of us, along with a tendency to shout cookies before executing artful jump shots as he tossed the baseballs back into the bucket once Coach Emerson was through hitting us grounders. When guys wanted to make fun of his floppy blonde hair and petite round spectacles, they called him the page master. But that usually stopped after he smoked them out from the stash in his trunk after practice. He was a decent left fielder and a horrible pitcher, throwing a decidedly hittable mix of droopy curveballs, fat meandering change-ups, and lifeless fastballs. Emerson only ever put him in when we were down by more than seven, which is also the only time he'd let me catch, so I got to know Ethan's repertoire well. Guys made fun of me, too. But instead of lampooning my appearance, they'd imitate my dour, serious demeanor. Once, we got lit up by Hayfield Secondary, and I admittedly went a little overboard with the histrionics, grunting and slamming my glove to the ground repeatedly as tater after tater was swatted over the left field fence. The next day at practice, Jamie Palmer, who I'd lived down the street from for my whole life and idolized for his effortless ability to sting the catcher's mitt with 80-mile-an-hour heat, started imitating me during warm-ups. Soon enough, the whole team was howling with laughter, and later I sat on the bench for the entirety of that evening's game, watching Jamie dominate the Robinson Rams. The win got us into the divisional playoffs, and afterwards I trudged towards Jamie's car while the others whooped and cheered in the parking lot. Jamie always gave me a ride home, and as he settled triumphantly into the driver's seat, he reached behind the sun flap and produced a swisher suite, which he unwrapped and stuck behind his ear. Ethan came bounding over to the window and said, Palmer, we blazing tonight or what? You know it, said Jamie. Let me just get rid of Sam first. I stared at the floor of Jamie's Toyota as he went screeching out of the lot, but I looked up in time to see Ethan watching us go. A couple days later, during warm-ups, Ethan sauntered over to me and said, Dingman, I bet you have the Orioles' starting rotation memorized, don't you? I shrugged. Who's going for him tonight? he asked, grinning. Come on, I know you know. Kamenicki, I said. What's his ERA? Ethan needled. 516, I replied, playing along. Oh, Ethan winced. Not a good look. We got better prospects tomorrow night? 
How are we rounding out the series, Dingman? The other guys were starting to look over at us. Adam Cobb looked up from restringing the webbing on his glove, and Jamie loomed in the background, pretending not to listen as he wound athletic tape around his wrist. We'll see, I said, looking warily at Ethan. It'll be Erickson tomorrow night, and then Musina and Ponzone. Gotta hope Erickson has the sinker working, but Musina owns the Jays, and Ponzone will be on six days rest, so he should be strong. Man, that's a relief, said Ethan. He turned and jogged out to left field to shag fly balls. I dropped my gaze quickly back to my shin guards and pretended to look for something in my equipment bag. I felt Adam, Jamie, and the others' eyes on me. They had the starting lineup slots and the girlfriends. But they couldn't tell you Scott Kamenicki's earned run average, or Scott Erickson's outpitch. A couple weeks later, Jamie was sick and missed practice, so Ethan offered me a ride home. We cruised down the sun-dappled streets of Alexandria in the Gold Accord, which smelled like fresh laundry. Cool if I play some tunes? asked Ethan. I nodded. He touched a button on his customized sound system, and the car was filled with the best music I'd ever heard. Jangling guitars, spirited drums, and an easy, warm lead singer's voice washed over me as I looked out at the sleepy Virginia afternoon. I would never be a big league catcher, nor Ethan a pro outfielder. And suddenly, that was fine. This music is totally sweet, I said. Who is it? Virginia Coalition, answered Ethan. They're mad dope. Check out the liner notes. He pointed at the jewel case tucked in the door pocket. I flipped it open and looked at the acknowledgments. I saw that the band had graduated from our high school a few years earlier, and that they'd thanked our principal, John Porter, for, quote, keeping it real. They'd also thanked a guy named Brendan Silver. My brother, Ethan explained. He helps him out with shit every once in a while, carries cases or whatever. They're totally cool guys. I get free tickets all the time if you ever want to go. We pulled up outside my house, but I didn't want to get out of Ethan's car. Everything sounded so good and smelled so nice and felt, for the first time, so easy. I'll begin these reflections on Thanksgiving at the beginning with an email that we got from the great Don Petrie, who writes, Alan outdid himself with the sounds of 73 in his poetic stylings. This is a very strong opening point from Don, a very strong point. Don continues, I know it had nothing to do with Thanksgiving, but I think of all the major holidays, Thanksgiving does have that olfactory, sensory bond to childhood memories. What kid didn't love waking up on Thursday morning to a warm kitchen and the smell of a roasting turkey. Those are the memories I was carrying with me during my cold November walk from E Street to Pennsylvania Avenue. That and the funny comparison of Prince Fielder to various livestock. Now, I agree um, with the assessment of Mr. Petrie. Uh, these sort of poignant and lovely memories are as much the root of um, my family nostalgia as they are for anyone else, uh, and the neural pathways that have connected in such a way that the idea of turkey and mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce not only make my mouth water, 
but tickle that sort of contented and loved childhood space where the details are taken care of and your only goal is to eat as much as you can and have as much fun with the cousins as possible. Somehow, though, other memories manage to escape us in the wash of nostalgia and good family vibes. The memory, for example, of the painful fullness that is currently keeping me from bending over or really even drawing a full breath. These are things that, thankfully, we block from our memories every year so that we can once again fling ourselves at our traditional meal with our traditional reckless abandon. The act of being so very full is often paired, as it currently is with me, dear listeners, with the act of being tired. In fact, I wonder if there might not be some sort of neural pathway there as well that leads me directly to the floor post-Thanksgiving dinner. Pavlov's dogs never had a reaction as strong as the narcolepsy I seem to get after a heavy meal, but I think it's specifically Thanksgiving more than any other uh, traditional overeating binge. It's not only patterns, however. The tryptophan currently coursing through my veins is making any of these observations feel distant and essentially moot. And here, we get to the heart of Thanksgiving reflections for me. The act of sitting in silent contemplation of the atrocities I've just committed on my internal systems, with approximately 15% of my attention on the television screen. As someone without an NFL team, and with even less than the average interest in the Cowboys or the Lions, my sport instinct is not as engaged as it can be. And thus, without a rooting interest, and with only a modicum of focus dulled by food and wine, Thanksgiving is synonymous with being physically unable to follow the flow of a football game as I doze in and out. There are many other places where the battle to keep awake is a lost one. Lectures, for example, in college. Driving home at the end of a long road trip late at night. Places where we must stay awake or risk embarrassment or personal injury. There are a few things harder than the fight to keep your eyes open once they've begun to close. When your entire focus rests on the act of staying awake and the focus on the other matters at hand, say, keeping up with a lecture on the intentions of Kant, becomes not only unlikely, but entirely secondary. Time becomes distorted. Single sentences stretch on for days, and then whole minutes or even entire subway stops disappear entirely. These times are undeniably horrible. In fact, some of the things that I've enjoyed the least, outside of being in active pain, have involved fighting as hard as I can to stay awake and failing. A quick digression. Have you ever noticed how the sleepy-headed, bobbling dozes leave so quickly once you get up and move around? Like that sort of gray haze is a blanket that you can just cast off with a little bit of blood flow? The human body, from Chris Davis moonshots to mental activity being tied to physical movement, is an amazing thing. But back to the matter at hand, I think that the dislike of fighting to stay awake and failing is why, in part, I so covet these sleepy sports spaces, football on Thanksgiving, or a baseball game on Sunday afternoon in a warm beam of sunlight, when there is simply no need to fight against the encroachments of sleep, and one can relax backwards into a safe and secure haze, comfortable in the knowledge that Someone will probably wake you up if there's pie to be served, 
or if the fourth quarter suddenly gets interesting. I imagine that this is what getting old is going to be like. More hazy tryptophan days, more after-dinner naps, which I think means that my goal for getting old must be to put myself in as many of these particular situations as possible. Ones where I won't drive off the road, or be yelled at by the professor if I start to nod off. Perhaps this is about finding more games to watch, where there is only so much variation, and it doesn't matter if I miss a few minutes. But I think, more likely, it's about having people around who love me, and who are willing to express that love by only laughing a little bit at me when I doze off on the floor with the family's lab, Bingley, as a pillow. So I'm thankful, on this Thanksgiving, for a life that allows for those nappy spaces. For baseball, um, not as a focus point and a stressful and exciting passion, but as a background track to friends and family and life. And I am the most thankful for those people in my family and in my life that help me redirect, reorient, and explain what happened in the 5th through 7th innings when I might have been drooling on the edge of the couch just a little. I'm also thankful for Manny Machado. I'm really quite thankful for Manny Machado. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and thanks for listening. So that'll do it for your Baltimore on special holiday edition episode. Please join us again next week for a normal episode and safe travels home if you're traveling this weekend and be safe at home if you're already there. Thanks as always for tuning in. And remember, you can find us at bemorons.com, where we are, of course, very proud members of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. We've got links at our website for you to check out old episodes of the show and also to get in touch with us in a variety of ways, which we are always, always very excited when you do. Thanks again, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com.